we do have a long way to go to get all those people registered at voting age. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. We will turn out to vote this cycle because we all understand what's at stake. Let's head to Arizona where Republicans are recounting two million ballots by hand. Welcome to Dead Men Don't Vote, the podcast where election experts help you, the American voter, understand how elections work and how you can help restore confidence in American democracy. At the Trust the Vote Project, we've spent over 15 years talking with and learning from election administrators and government officials about how votes are cast, counted, and reported, and how to improve that so elections are guaranteed to be verifiable, accurate, secure, and transparent in their process at least. On Dead Men Don't Vote, we share what we've learned, plus our expertise from the world-class team we've built up. We interviewed leading election experts uh, and thought leaders passionate about our democracy. Uh, and we explore election issues and controversies in order to answer your questions about a process that is fundamental to the administration of democracy. And yet, it can be complicated, unclear, always changing, and yes, even muddied by some partisan interests. I'm Gregory Miller. Software industry veteran, non-practicing lawyer, and tireless advocate for verifiable elections. I'll be your host for today's Season 1 kickoff episode we've titled, Do Dead People Actually Vote? I'm joined by our disembodied voice of democracy, Frayne Masters. Hi, everybody. And also by my co-host, election administration veteran and expert, Cameron Quinn, to talk about the voting habits of the dearly departed. Thanks, Greg. I want to start by saying how excited I am to be doing this podcast. As you know, I've been working in elections for much of my professional life, and I can't tell you how often I hear misconceptions about how elections work, even from people that you would think might know. And some of these misconceptions are due to differences among the states, but many are just because elections are so complicated, even for administrators, and few people have the time or the interest in understanding or learning the nuance, including some of those who cover elections, like the press and partisans, who are often talking about the campaign or the horse race and really aren't worried about the details of the election administration and getting them correct. This is such an opportunity to shine light on our elections, particularly at a time when it really seems important. So let's talk about dead people casting ballots from the grave. People call us dead, departed, expired, gone, passed away, but we prefer deceased Americans. We've been advocating for deceased rights for years. Did you know dead people didn't even have the right to vote until 1980? Do dead people vote? I'm sorry, dead people generally vote for Democrats rather than Republicans. The short answer is they don't, except in understandable situations. You've likely seen the claim online, dead people voting in the presidential election. The president has been tweeting claims of massive voter fraud. Election officials across the country say there's no evidence of that. Georgia officials are echoing that same message tonight as they too investigate the same claim. There was one incident in a Pennsylvania county where a registered Republican did attempt to apply for an absentee ballot in his mother's name who passed away. That voter did not even make it past the application phase. Two of the four Georgia voters the president accused of fraudulently voting dead are very much alive. Our chief investigator, Brendan Keefe, tracked them down. Who did you vote for? I voted for the Democrats, for Biden. 
Election officials say if any deceased voting occurred, it would be such a small scale that it could never really impact the results in the end. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, this this idea that dead people are not only voting, but actually swinging elections, it really is a persistent trope. So I, I need to get straight to the spoiler here, Cameron. Despite um, our title, Dead People Do Actually Vote. That's the bad news. The good news is, according to a study from Stanford and I think another one from University of Washington, you know, dead voters only account for, wait for it, roughly three in every one million votes. To give you an idea of just how rare three in a million is, nine in every one million people are struck by lightning and five in every one million people die in plane crashes. In in the highly contested 2020 national election in Georgia, this one in particular is interesting to think about. Secretary of State State Brad Rassenberger conducted a review of dead people voting and found that there were a total of four cases of dead people casting their ballots. Four in four not four million nine hundred and thirty five thousand Georgian cast ballots. And, and Greg, let me just add for for those of the listeners who think that academicians or even the Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger can't be trusted on this, even the Conservative Public Interest Legal Foundation reported in twenty twenty they found using forty two states that only seven thousand eight hundred and ninety deceased individuals were found to have voted in twenty sixteen, and while their instances every year of dead people appearing to have voted. To the extent that it's done fraudulently, this is generally what I would call retail fraud, meaning it's onesies and it takes a lot of work for one additional fraudulent vote. Let's dive into some of those issues. How do election administrators exercise our dearly departed from meddling in the elections of the living? That's one thing. Another one is how how does the occasional ghost manage to cast a particularly spooky ballot, you know, despite all our best efforts? And I think finally, the one that really catches me is why is the fear of widespread grave voting so darn hard to dispel? Greg, let me take your last question first. I I think the fear of widespread dead voting is primarily for three reasons. First, when the issue is covered by the press, these are stories that catch attention. You know, this kind of thing people sort of then go chat about at the dinner table. Second, historically, there have been cases when dead voters make a difference. They're almost always in some of the smaller local elections, such as former President Jimmy Carter's first run for Georgia Senate in 1962, where he lost the primary, and there seemed to have been an alphabetical line of voters coming in from the graveyard. And the third reason is because people don't really understand how the voter rolls are maintained. And many of the stories about dead voters are based on flawed information, where it appears that a number of people have voted that are dead. But in fact, some of the data matching didn't work accurately and their errors, clerical errors or data matching errors. How do you keep those records clean without calling the Ghostbusters? (laughs) Uh, You know, most people go and vote and are barely aware of all the work that's done by election officials behind the scenes to run any election after the Help America Vote Act came into place. Virtually all the voter registration records are electronically kept in registration databases, either at the state level or locally. And because of rapid improvements in technology, this has made it a lot easier to actually compare voter records with other databases, such as the Social Security Administration's uh, death list or a state vial statistics office death list. And depending on all the different data fields that are being done at the time of the match, you can have some things that look like almost matches. You know, the birthday is exactly the same. The last four digits are exactly the same. The name's 
look like they are the same, but they aren't exact. Mike Smith instead of Michael Smith. In those kind of situations, uh, at least in Virginia, those would then be manually reviewed by an election official, and they would have access to the original voter registration file and a number of other databases and sources to try and verify whether or not it really does look like the same person. Assuming then that you decide that it was a match, these would be deleted from the database, either immediately or depending on some state's processes, it might go through the inactive process, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about one of these days. Additionally, what you also have in a lot of particularly smaller towns, you know, areas where people know each other better, many local officials will review the obituaries that come out in the local newspaper. Or in some small towns, they're going to the funerals themselves, so they know that so-and-so is dead. And so those voters will be removed based on that information. Additionally, I think most states, if not all of them, have a process for removing a voter. If a family member is in touch and says, my spouse died, my child died, my grandmother died, And again, these processes exactly may vary a little bit. Sometimes there's a piece of paper that you need to sign, but the process gets started because they've been told that they're notified that somebody might have died. In addition to all these other things, now that data is getting a little easier to find and transfer and do things with, state election officials, actually, uh, I think it was Linda Lamone over in Maryland, got behind trying to address Voters who live most of their life in Maryland and then they move to Florida for the last six months or the last two years, or they go move in with their kids across uh, the river in Virginia, and they're no longer in Maryland, but they're still on the voter rolls. And there's not a process by which typically election officials get notified about that. And so Linda started working with her vital statistics office and then started working across the country to try and work out something where the state vital statistics offices and the state elections offices are working together so that all those people that die in Florida, you know, that come from 40 other states, that information is getting back to the original state election director. One more thing I have to note before I let this go, and that is if for some reason somebody did a match and it was wrong or somebody deleted the wrong person accidentally, most states, if not all of them, have a process to correct that erroneous deletion pretty much immediately. Certainly, if nothing else, on election day, if, if somehow it turns out you show up and somebody says, oh, but you're dead, the, the entire provisional ballot process captures that opportunity to vote so it doesn't get lost and it will get solved before the canvas in a locality. So that's what's going on behind the scenes to try and remove dead voters. It's funny. I, I can't help but think of Monty Python, right? But, <laughs> but I'm not dead yet. <laughs> So there's several things you said that, that really struck me, right? And I think first thing for, for everyone listening is that there's so much going on behind the scenes that we don't realize in the process of keeping these rules up to date. I got one more question for you. With all the efforts, everything, how, how does the occasional ghost still manage to cast a ballot despite these, these efforts of exorcism? How does that happen? <laughs> so actually, if you think about it, when I tell it to you, you're going to say, well, of course. We have such a long period now where people can go vote. It used to just be a day. And then you had this process for the military, people in hospitals that can't get out of the house to vote. And now it's gotten expanded a lot. So you get a lot of people going to vote in advance of Election Day in person. 
And you get a, a lot of people that have voted by mail and may have mailed their ballot back in several weeks before election day. In between that point, they get hit by bus. They knew they had cancer and they were afraid they weren't going to be able to vote on election day, so they mailed it in early. So there are plenty of legitimate reasons why a voter was alive when they voted and yet was dead by the time somebody's looking to see who all voted on election day. And the thing to understand is it would be difficult, if not impossible, depending on several different pieces of information, to go find the ballot and pull it out because somebody has died. Unless they vote by mail and that ballot hasn't already gotten adjudicated so that they've opened the ballot to open the envelope and taken the ballot out and then put it in with all the other ballots so it's secret. Only if it hasn't gone through that process could they even pull out mail ballots. All right. Well, so so we, we know how dead people can honestly vote. Let's think about what we all think of when we hear about dead people voting, right, as as others have made a high visible public point of making. And that's that living people are impersonating dead people. Now, if you're thinking that on our first episode of Dead Men Don't Vote is going to offer you the recipe for stealing an election, I, I got some bad news. If you try to impersonate a dead relative, you can expect a world of trouble. First, as Cameron can tell you, there's a good chance you're going to get caught because voter rolls are regularly compared against other records. We've been talking about the data hygiene thing. It's getting easier and easier. Things like death records from Health and Human Services. Now, that's not to say it's a perfect system. We're talking about that too, right? I mean, there's plenty to gripe about the existing technology. But for the most part, there are traps and triggers to catch the errant records of the dead left haunting the rolls, as Cameron has discussed. Secondly, to swing a federal or statewide election usually means flipping several thousand votes. There's no way to know which election will come down to just a handful of votes. I mean, even polls just before Election Day are frequently not accurate. So if stealing an election means flipping even an unusually low margin like 100 votes, you're going to have to cast 100 ballots illegally either in person, which one has uh, has one set of challenges, or by mail, which has another set of challenges. And there's no guarantee, for example, even if you mailed in 100 fraudulent votes on behalf of dead voters still in the voter rolls, that all of them would, would be counted, since most states have processes when mail ballots are returned to verify they came from the voter in question, whether signature matching or witnesses or other processes were involved and the like. Many elections are close these days. So you might think that trying to impersonate someone you know who has passed on could help your cause. It almost never will, but it will earn you a felony conviction. Something one of our team teammates, actually, who's an, another experienced election administrator, reminded me, people who are against vote by mail often justify that distrust of it by insinuating that dishonest people will fill out ballots of voters that they believe are already deceased. Whether or not they are is another story. But this is where we can assure voters of an important point. Election offices diligently perform checks during the ballot adjudication process. We just wish they had a more up-to-date, reliable, and secure registration system. So, Greg, let me just um, mention one of the reasons why it's so hard to keep those voter rolls clean and up-to-date. The big challenge for voter rolls is they are constantly changing. Daily, people die. Daily, people move. Daily, people turn 18 and become eligible to vote. Regularly, people become citizens, having gone through the citizenship process. And so let's be honest. 
when a family member dies, notifying the elections office doesn't end up being on the list of the first two dozen things you're trying to get done. Even as a former election official, uh, when my mom passed this last year, I did not immediately start worrying about making sure that I took her off the rolls. Somebody is then confirming that somebody actually applied properly for that absentee ballot and they would be returning a ballot as opposed to assuming that what's in there is a ballot. So we only are going to open ballots from people that applied appropriately to get a ballot. And then there's a, a, you know, a process for sort of checking. In some states, they check to see if there's a signature match on the ballot. Uh, in Virginia, one of the requirements is a witness signature, so making sure those things are in place and have been properly done. There is a process before they ever get to opening the envelope, taking out the ballot and putting it in with all the other ballots. Indeed. I think the last thing on someone's mind is calling the election registrar to tell them that they've just lost their, their spouse or their parent. We could go on and uh, roll in the weeds of public data, voter rules, hygiene, and better tech and all that. But I want to bring Fran back into this because she has the hand in the mailbag. And we had to engage in a little conversation with our listeners here. So Fran, what have you got for us today? Thanks, Greg. We have some really great questions today. We had a couple people who uh, left us some messages in SpeakPipe. Let's hear the first one. It's from Dot. How does an election office know if a voter has died in the first place? Fran, you, you pulled a juicy one out of the bag, and I'm going to immediately <laughs> toss to Cameron. <laughs> So the answer is that very often election officials don't know, particularly in some of the larger jurisdictions. But eventually they do the data matching with either their state voter records office, vital statistics office, or the um, Social Security Administration's master death file. Uh, And so that often is what triggers it. And in addition, you know, there can be, in some cases, smaller towns where they're looking at the obituaries or checking the, the nowadays, the, the funeral homes often will notify folks, depending on the locality as well. There's just, there's a lot of different ways that they get the information. But I would say to folks, if they feel like they know of somebody who's died and they're worried they may still be on the voter rolls, voter rolls are public, so you can, you can go check with your elections official. But you can also just call and say, my neighbor has passed. Well, Dot, thanks for that question. And as you can tell, it's rocket without the science. We don't have an easy answer for that one. It's, there's just a lot of parts that move into it. We have another great question from Hannah. Hi, my name's Hannah. I'm from Delaware. I'm just interested when it comes to voting by mail. If ballots are secret, then how do you know which ballot to remove if you discover a voter has passed away after they returned their ballot? Thank you. Whoa, you're right. Rocket of a question. Um, Yeah, I'm going to punt again. (laughs) The answer is, if it's a mail-in ballot and a large jurisdiction is getting thousands of these, you know, the days before the election, and, you know, let's just say somebody really big and famous dies and is hit by a car, so there's a news story on it, then you could go, assuming it's a state where you aren't allowed to let dead voters vote, you could go and grab the envelope if it has not already been, as we talked about earlier, adjudicated. The envelope hasn't been determined yet to fit all the criteria and to then allow that ballot to be counted. Otherwise, there is no way to pull it out because once that ballot has been opened and thrown into the counting equipment, 
it's all over. It's too late. And there's really nothing that can be done in general. Now, there may be provision in some state laws that if there are illegal ballots in a container, usually contemplating circumstances where there would be more than one, there may be a process by which ballots can be removed in a very public process, either related to the canvas or at the precinct on election night. But in general, you can't figure out which ballot to remove. And so that's one of the reasons that many states don't try to pull back a dead voter's vote. Yeah. And I think it's worth pointing out that in the last election, the the calls for removing all those ballots are, are unfortunately impossible to do. And so nonsensical in their request. But people ask because they don't understand that there's a lot more that goes on than than one thinks. All right. So let's take one more. Could be from the mailbag or could be from you. I'm game. Let's do this. Okay. It's going to be from me, Greg. Let's say my grandmother passes away and her dying wish was to cast a ballot for her preferred party. Can I, dare I, honor her wishes? And I'm going to honor the answer to that question by giving it again to the veteran election administrator. Carmen, what do we do about grandma? If grandma voted her ballot and then died, and it goes in the mail, that's okay. If grandma didn't die, you can't go now and finish filling out that ballot and put it in the mail for grandma. And again, there's procedures related to both an inner envelope and an outer envelope for returning the ballot. And if grandma's dead, that means grandma can't actually sign her envelope or somebody's witnessing it by lying. And again, you run the risk of being a felon. And I don't think that grandma's dying wish in that circumstance is probably worth trying to fulfill. But if grandma filled out the ballot and it got put in the envelope and everything got attested and it's a matter of getting it to the mailbox, then that's a different story. Just like if grandma got hit by the bus after she put the envelope in the mail. Well, Frayne, I'm going to give you one more. All right. I, I get one more question and here it is. I'm going to lay it on you. Are the laws different from state to state about deathbed ballots? Well, you know, like like everything else related to elections, the answer is it varies from state to state. I can tell you this. There are statutes in at least 13 states. I won't bore you with naming them all unless you want to know, but there are 13 states that direct election officials to count those ballots. On the other hand, by the same token, there's another 13 states that say just the opposite. No, we're not going to count those ballots. But here's the thing. I just want to go back to this point. It's really hard to retrieve a ballot from someone who has died between casting it and election day. And once the absentee ballot has been verified and the ballot is removed from that envelope for counting, the ballot can't be retraced to the voter. I mean, it's it's secret. So catching a ballot is only possible for ballots that are still in their return envelopes. And, and that's a really important thing to remember. Now, how quickly do election officials get notice of deaths? That, that's another question that's come up that's part of the, how the laws vary from state to state. And I think Cameron can re- amplify this too. Most statutes make it clear that these ballots are to be rejected only if election administrators know about the death. And also that if a vote is counted that shouldn't have been, it does not invalidate the entire election. We've, we've heard that comment uh, before too. And let me add one last thing. Unlike many election policy questions that we're going to get, this one does not have a partisan angle. Just want to make the point that death doesn't make any distinction between Democrats, Republicans, or independents as they cast their absentee ballots. 
Cameron, are you going to add anything to that? Yeah, I just I wanted to mention when you said, you know, if people were interested in knowing which states, the National Conference of State Legislatures, NCSL, actually has information on which states have which rules related to absentee voters that died before Election Day. So That's you right. can always easily go over to their website and just put that kind of thing in their Google search internally and get the information. I think that's a wrap on our bag for the day. Yeah, um, let's uh, let's thank yeah. uh, Dot and Hannah and yes. me and me for those questions. And Frayne and Frayne. <laughs> and let's ask people to please come to uh, our website at trustthevote.org slash podcast. And uh, we should have the ability to get to the speak pipe right there to ask your questions on subsequent episodes. You know, before we get to the positive, I have to pause. We're recording this first episode during of history unfolding before us in a manner that we haven't witnessed for those of us who were around that long or learned about since World War II. I'm speaking of the very horrific and unfortunate incident underway right now unfolding before our eyes as Russia invades Ukraine, which is going to do nothing but wreak havoc and carnage. And that's just not pro-democracy. And so I wanted to take a moment for us to just recognize that that's going on and reflect on how important all the things that we're doing to ensure that democracy thrives. For the OSIT Institute, we have developers who are literally in the line of fire as I speak. They're in that age group, 18 to 60, in which their president has told them that they need to remain and fight. That means that they're not fighting the good fight of coding new software to make elections more verifiable, accurate, secure, and transparent. They're literally in the trenches on the front lines of sustaining democracy. Cameron, you got any thoughts about that before we go to the the good stuff, if you will? Greg, yes, I I do appreciate it. I, I think it's worth noting that democracy is challenging. Elections are challenging for election officials globally, but it's particularly challenging in places like some of the former Soviet republics. I have not done work in Ukraine on their elections, but I have done work in some of the other former Soviet republics. And I do know that for all that we have had in this country, some Russian interference, it pales in comparison to what most of those countries have occurring in every election, every time they have an election in the last 20 years. And Ukraine, in fact, appears from all that's being said to have, in fact, been invaded because Putin didn't like the results of the democratically elected government in Ukraine. So just, you know, a recognition of all those folks and what they are trying to do to stand up for their country and their democracy, our thoughts and prayers are with them. It's uh, it's horrific. And I just wanted to take a moment to note that that somber thing. All right, on to the good stuff. Um, this is the last section we'd like to call the good stuff, which is a, a bits of positive election-related news that is uh, flying well below the radar. For this week, the signal that was in all the noise is, for me, is Jefferson County, Texas. Uh, you know, they started down a path towards a verifiable election by allocating $3.2 million to add a device to each of their ballot marking devices to produce a paper printout of voters' choices. Now, that's a long way from a durable paper, paper ballot of record, and we could have a whole episode on what they call VVPATs or verified voter um, paper trails. But you know what? I'll take small victories and baby steps. At least Jefferson County, Texas is spending some money to try to get some evidence of people's ballot choices. How about you, Cameron? Uh, That's a great story. And I'll start with 
sort of three pieces of news, and one of them's out of Texas as well. And that is, it's it's sort of less about good stuff happening because it's sort of a disappointment to lose them. But we have had three terrific, long-time, well-respected election officials uh, who have retired in the last month or two. One of whom is Dana Debevoir from Austin, Texas, who Greg and I have worked very closely with over the years. Also, Neil Kelly out of Orange County, California, and Margaret Jurgensen out of Montgomery County, Maryland. And all of them were people that I would sort of look and see if they were doing something interesting and see if it was something I wanted to try and copy. And they would be very happy to then give me the information on what they'd done and how it had worked and lessons learned. And they're going to be missed. Maybe there'll be some way they can stay in the elections business. Hope so. Well, Cameron, yeah, I'm I'm too cozy underneath my rock. I missed that Neil Kelly is retiring. He's already retired. Or retired, yeah. I should say. This goes to show how busy we've been here, heads down. Neil Neil is a good friend of, of the Institute, has worked with Eddie Perez and, and I over the years. Good news, bittersweet news. He's he's one of the many. I, I do want to just leave a parting shot about that, folks. We we have heard news in, in the past week or so that the, the statistics of the number of qualified elections professionals fleeing the profession because of all the mishigash is alarming. This is a call to arms for everyone who ever thought about volunteering and working in elections. Your democracy needs you. We can't continue to have amazing people like Dana Debovar and Neil Kelly inevitably retire without a pipeline of great qualified people behind them. So thanks for that, Cameron. Everybody, please remember that we at the Trust the Vote Project, we're working to make election technology. You know, that's, oh, by the way, the root of what we do here. We're, we're trying to make election technology more verifiable, accurate, secure, and transparent. We, we call that, and we've been taught that that's the vast mandate. We're doing it by building open source voting technology, the people's voting system. And if you'd like to support our work, please join the Trust the Vote Project at trustthevote.org and click the join button at the top. An annual membership is just $25. However, if you contribute at least $5 per month, we'll also give you insider access to extended episode conversations, Zoominars, to meet members of our development team, to discuss their work and ask questions. And we're going to have limited gear coming uh, to support the project and Dead Men Don't Vote podcasts and, and lots of other fun stuff. So uh, if you'd like to, uh, to ask a, an elections-related question or otherwise be in touch, please follow us on Twitter uh, at Dead Men Don't Vote or Trust the Vote. Or just email us at inquiry, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y, at osetinstitute.org. Again, O-S-E-T-I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E dot O-R-G. Great. And our folks in engineering keep reminding us to let you know that Dead Men Don't Vote has no apostrophe when you're going to uh, the website. So let me just point out that if you'd like to potentially feature your question on a future show and get your voice on our podcast, then go to deadmendontvote.org. Remember, no apostrophe in the address uh, and leave us a voice message. Uh, These can be recorded with your laptop or mobile device. Please keep them to a minute or so, and we'll try to play yours in a future episode. Remember, tell us your first name and your state of residence. You can also uh, use the voicemail uh, message link right at SpeakPipe. That's www.speakpipe.com slash deadmendon'tvote. And yep, no apostrophe. Finally, uh, please take a moment to write a short review on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It'll help us keep improving the quality of this podcast and to reach more people. And just because we've launched Dead Men Don't Vote with a discussion about dead people voting doesn't mean we're a one-trick pony about elections. Far from it. This is the proverbial tip of the iceberg of issues about elections. 
In upcoming episodes, we're going to dive into many of the pressing questions Americans have today about elections. For instance, how does vote by mail actually work? What about those reported piles of ballots in building lobbies? Isn't that a breach of election integrity? Are ballot drop boxes secure? Why is voter identification such a controversial issue? How do we know you are you when you are voting? Why the fuss over voting machine security? Can we trust voting technology? And much, much more, including, once again, your questions from our weekly mailbag. So there's lots to tune in to learn about in our upcoming episodes, far more than ballot boxes haunted by our dearly departed's votes. Thanks, Frayne. Again, I'm Gregory Miller, one of your co-hosts, saying thanks for listening to Dead Men Don't Vote and reminding you that it's your civic duty and civil right to participate in our elections. Let's all be pro-democracy, which means prioritizing country over party and supporting free and fair elections. So until next time, make sure you're properly registered and ready to vote because the primaries are already underway and our democracy depends on you.